Welcome to Skip to Art, the podcast guiding you to creative freedom. I am your host, Nikolai. Join me on my artistic odyssey, a real-life adventure on how to fully switch to an art career. In each episode, we will talk with exceptional people involved in the art industry. My mission is clear, to provide our community with the most effective strategies to leave 9 to 5 jobs behind and earn through art. Subscribe to Skip to Art and join our community of artists helping each other to succeed. Hello, Oliver. Happy to see you here. Thank you for being part of the podcast. Uh, let's start uh, with uh, with talking about you. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hey, Nikolai. It's a pleasure to be here and to partake in your podcast today to talk about art. Uh, my name is Oliver. I'm the founder of Say Something Gallery in Barcelona and the founding member of the Say Something Nonprofit Association which is essentially for um, using arts and culture to support various human rights issues. Um, we have uh, physical art and we have NFT arts. Um, we have a strong membership of around 40 different members for the nonprofit association. Say Something Gallery has been open for uh, a year and a half, um, and we've successfully shown over about 12 to 13 exhibitions now and over 50 different artists, um, local and international. So um, pretty exciting times here. We are growing the association, which is really exciting. Um, and yeah, we're just trying to do a lot here and to support the local art community and international art community as well. Great. Uh, also, I know that you are like an experienced blockchain lawyer. Tell me a little bit about that, because our topic of discussion will be related to all things legal. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. So not only do, do I own a gallery here in Barcelona, but um, yeah, you're right. I'm also uh, a financial lawyer. Uh, specializing in blockchain and Web3 uh, legal advisory services. Um, we also have a, a law firm startup called Gov.dao. Um, so very, very familiar with the laws and regulations um, and legals around art, digital art, but also um, you know, the financial laws applying to, to many of the, the blockchain projects out there. Great. Uh, can you tell your personal story how you get to the blockchain because it's uh, every time it's very interesting the roots are so different and sometimes very weird can you tell your story please yeah for sure i mean perhaps mine is not as weird and, and interesting as others but um but basically it's it's through being a lawyer um i first joined a crypto startup in, in 2018 back when uh, you know the first kind of boom was happening um, spent a year working with that startup before the the first like sort of big uh, crash in the markets, um, and then went back to uh, working with fintechs and, and tech tech uh, companies. Um, but anyway, that sparked my interest, um, and have continued working or you know, being interested in that space, investing in various crypto coins as well. Um, but then really got back into it um, towards the end of 2020 when I started working for a, a centralized exchange at the time called Bitcoin.com Exchange, um, and then just solidly been in industry since then, working with many different projects and with gov.dao had the pleasure to have already worked with, you know, 10 solid uh, blockchain projects, mostly on the uh, decentralized exchange space. So, um, and then looking at all sorts of things, like obviously digital art, NFTs, um, gov.dao itself is in fact an NFT domain name, um, an amazing utility. So yeah, that's pretty much how I got into it. Mm -hmm. Great. It sounds like very different spheres, uh, uh, lawyer, gallery, how you get to the idea of opening a gallery. 
what what thoughts and what vision uh, you see around uh, around this project yeah so so when it comes to to art um i've always had an interest in art mostly um via my interest in music and back in the day was a dj throwing parties and obviously artwork was a big part of that in terms of you know music labels um record record vinyl sleeves um, but also uh, promotional events and promotional materials like posters for different events and working with different artists for that and every now and again i'd come come across a, a beautiful piece of art that i would uh, add to my collection and um, but mostly the say something gallery came about as a reaction to um the pandemic the lockdown um and also as a kind of like an anti-metaverse reaction which sounds funny it sound, maybe sounds like a contradiction to my to the work i do in web3 but it's for mostly for the reason that um i wanted a space that people could come together um and to talk about various issues and to be creative and be, be face-to-face rather than just conducting meetings online um but i have to tell you that the actual name say something comes um actually from a campaign in the uk and that campaign was called have a word And that campaign was all about essentially um, educating men on speaking out against other men committing acts of harassment or violence towards women. And I was thinking to to basically do an event called Say Something where uh, we could go around different places and we could essentially um, help uh, promote that message and that education and work with, uh, with men and young men. Or, um, on this kind of learning situation but obviously i realized that uh, say something you can say something about everything and we have this beautiful space this beautiful gallery where we can um you know run programs educational programs along these lines but obviously also for other issues itself mm-hmm. so as i understand uh the gallery is more like a not a social club but a place for community to share uh, to exchange knowledge thoughts emotions uh, like to to feel comfortable uh, sharing ideas yes well 100 um, it is primarily a gallery um, and uh, as I said you know we've done up to 13 ex- exhibitions where we've shown local artists but we are a non-profit association and the non-profit association is all around those purposes of using, using art and culture to support those human rights uh, matters. And, and as you say, yes, using the space as a community space where people can come together and um, almost like a forum, come together and meet and talk and discuss various issues. And we have a pretty solid weekly program where Monday to Friday, we have you know, set days for certain things. So, you know, Monday is for artistic workshops. Tuesday is what we call the Say Something Day, where all of our members meet together and we talk about these different issues and host talks. Wednesday is actually um, our mental health and spirituality day, well-being and, and medicine. Um, Thursday is actually our blockchain day. So we've, we've hosted a lot of, a lot of blockchain um, uh, talks and workshops here. Had some fantastic guests like MyDAO, Secret Agency and others. Um, and then Fridays is our art and exhibition days, essentially. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, so let's move to the blockchain part and everything related to that. Um, I want to discuss with you uh, all things legal around NFTs because for me it's like a, a territory that where I know close to nothing. Uh, could you basically explain uh, what is NFT uh, from the legal perspective, from the perspective of traditional law, courts, Uh, judges what they think about that yeah sure and i, I think even though um you know nfts have been around for a few years now 
And obviously, we saw an explosion in the popularity and these huge, crazy valuations for for PFPs um, like the Board Eight Club, etc. That um, is still relatively unknown, and and we'll come across this point in um, further down the conversation, whereby there are a lot of artists who have heard of NFTs and and kind of know a little bit about the power of you know potentially what they could do with these NFTs to promote themselves as artists. Um, but let's start from the beginning. So, an NFT is a non fungible token. Um, so this is a form of smart contract um, that is different from what we call a fungible token. And the difference is in the non, non-fungible part. So that means that each of these tokens is meant to be unique and individual. So that's why um, you have these NFT collections where you say have typically 10,000 pieces. And all of these entities are different. They, they have, all have different characteristics which make them unique. Um, primarily, they've been used in an artistic way, first of all. Um, so we've had these amazing collections like the Bordeaux Club um, and others um, with these unique individual uh, artistic pieces, so to speak. Um, but that's, so, that, so that's like the, you know, what an NFT actually is. Um, but then it has lots of different uh, utilities. Um, so, for example, I mentioned the gov.dal. The, the name and brand of our, our law firm is actually an NFT domain name. So that is unique and individual because every domain name is obviously different. Um, but it has the utility of being its own wallet. You can set up a website on it and you can do other things. There are also other applications for NFTs, such as you know maybe looking at how uh, legal agreements can be on, on those contracts. But they're also very, very good, particularly for the art space, because they are an identifier, allow in the code, um, the intellectual property or copyright ownership to be coded into that contract. Um, so it's a way to protect your art and a way to protect your copyright rights. <laughs> okay, and mm, let's uh, let's move on with the example. For example, I own one of these apes NFT, or I'm like, it's better to talk, I am the artist. So I produce a collection of NFTs, I sell them. Uh, and now, who owns the copyright? For example, if I want to print a T-shirt with one of my designs, could I do it myself? Or when I sell the NFT, uh, this right to to like to earn and to print some materials, uh, T-shirts, some, some other designs, uh, this right goes to the buyer or how it works? Yeah. So, so basically, we we have um, have to look at two different rights here. We have to look at the rights of the um, the artists, and then we look at the the rights of the purchaser. So, copyright rights um, originate first of all from the the creator. So, let, let's let's focus particularly on on artists right here. So, if I uh, produce a piece, whether that's an oil painting, a digital art piece, or something else, I have that is my copyright. I have copyright in that design, that that art. Um, whatever medium it might take. So that means that I have the rights. Copyright rights mean that I can exploit that in any particular way. So I can make any kind of copies. I can make any t- different types of forms of that work. Um, those are my copyright rights. Then we have to look at the purchaser's rights. So what if what, what rights does the purchaser have when I buy that painting, let's say I buy, buy a painting from you? I actually um, don't have the, the copyright being transferred to me from that artist. In fact, actually, if I buy that piece, yes, I own it and I have the right to hold it and the right to sell it. 
Um, but I, I don't have the, the copyright rights to go ahead and make copies. Like, you know, I can't take that, that art and put it on a t-shirt or whatever else um, because I don't have the copyright. The copyright will always stay with the, the, the original creator unless, of course, there is some sort of legal agreement which transfers the copyright to the, to the purchaser itself. Mm-hmm. And should I uh, set up any legal entity uh, or how this uh, legal right uh, appears uh, to me as an artist or it just happens automatically or I, I should register somehow this, how it works? Yeah, so th- this is very much jurisdiction dependent and dependent on, on trademark laws and copyright laws. Um, so essentially, um, the copyright in, in, a, in an art piece is automatically generated. As soon as I've created something, I have a copyright as a creator in that piece. Um, it may be that in some places you have to kind of register copyright, but actually it automatically is granted as soon as you've created that piece. So that ownership lies with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so basically it depends on the local uh, local uh, laws and local jurisdictions. Uh, so for mm-hmm. so uh, well, what, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, what, what I mean by that is that pretty much every country um, has its own uh, intellectual property laws. Um, EU is kind of harmonized in some respects yeah, due to WIPO, um, but that's you know you, know, you can go ahead and trademark a name, for example, and just just to clarify, you can't trademark an, an art; um, it would just be copyright. But say, for example, you had a brand name, you wanted to trademark that, you do that um, with WIPO in Europe, and then you'd have protection across Europe. Um, but you'd have to, for example, if you wanted trademark protection in the UK, you'd have to get your now now Brexit happened, you'd have to get that uh, separately registered with the, the, the UK um, Intellectual Property Office. Um, but I would say, in general, and this is a huge generalism, you know. Copyright laws tend to be broadly kind of the same in, in different jurisdictions. Um, what I would say is that it can be difficult to protect uh, copyright. And, you know, I've worked with artists before whereby, say, for example, they've um, listed a few pieces on, on Etsy, a very well-known uh, marketplace for artists and creators to sell their work. And then all of a sudden you see bigger brands who um, produce something similar like a slight variation of, of the art, but is, is very obviously something similar. And, and it's very difficult for, um, you know, you kind of independent uh, creators to protect their copyright. Um, because of course, in order to do so, you have to get lawyers involved, potentially go to court, which is all a very expensive process that unfortunately not many people can afford. Um, so, you know, it, that, that protection is there, but sometimes it can be difficult to protect. And actually this is one of the, um, perhaps useful things about NFTs is that, as I said, um, because of the way that the smart contract works, that the, the, the kind of copyright intellectual property rights are hard coded into uh, that NFT and that, you know, the, the piece of art that's attached to that. Um, and actually there was an interesting <laughs> renovation where it, everyone realized that um, Yuga Labs um, had done that very thing with the Board 8 Club and that, um, in each of those NFTs, those PFPs, there was, uh, you know, a line of code which said Yuga Labs holds the uh, the rights and the copyright to, to those art pieces. Uh, so basically, can I use uh, like this data from the smart contracts and from the blockchain in court to protect my rights or uh, they do not understand uh, what that mean well, today? 
Yeah. So I think it, it depends on what sort of situation we're talking about. So, for example, I am. I let, let's keep with board eight club because it's just easier. I think for this moment, as I use it as a prior example, um, I they are the creator and they've created this collection of uh, board apes um, and they have their intellectual property rights code into the smart contract now. But the, the situation, the kind of big situation, I, I could foresee them having to enforce their copyright um, rights in in this collection is is if someone who goes ahead or actually they, they, maybe they don't even necessarily own a board ape, but they could go ahead and make a, a very very similar collection that looks like that. So so make, basically making people think that it's connected to Ubilab somehow, and they've profited from that. So perhaps Ubilabs will go to court to say, hey, you know, this is very much a, a copyright breach, um, and we want to sue that person for whatever monies they've made, you know, using our our kind of copyright. Okay. Okay, I got it. So uh if I sell my NFT with my design to someone else, uh, this buyer could not uh, use it for commercial use. So he could not start producing toys or t-shirts with my design. In general, that is the case, yes. They they are not permitted as the owner of the art piece to exploit it for, for commercial purposes unless there is some sort of uh, legal arrangement between that person and, and the creator. So, so, so that, so, you know, copyright is, is good in that respect. But one thing I would say, um, let's talk about like the differences between the physical and the digital world here um, and link it up because um, one of the, the bigger benefits of NFTs in the digital world is that it's, it's um, solved one of the, the kind of key problems for artists. Um, so for example, let's use Banksy. Um, very, very early on, well, he sold uh, a few of his pieces. Um, but didn't retain any kind of rights to receive further income from those pieces later on. So for example, I've got along, I've purchased the Banksy piece. Um, you know, let's say I've bought it for <laughs> the early days or something like 20 to 50 grand. And now of course they're selling for 1 million. Um, Banksy, as you know, as he sold those pieces, would not, or would not benefit from um, those future higher valuations, um, which is a huge shame. But now, um, the benefit of the technology of, of NFTs for artists is that um, they can code into the smart contract the ability to get recurring revenue because, and that looks like um, something like this, whereby if I've bought an NFT from the creator, I own it, but then I resell it. Um, it can be coded that a, a particular percentage of that resale value actually goes back to the artist itself. So the artist can continue benefiting from um, their copyright even after selling the pieces okay the in fact it's it's a very great uh, feature to for the artist to get like continuous royalties even after the first sale exactly. but um i thought about one risk factor for example if i like yes i sell my uh, artwork and then it resells and i constantly receive royalties and for example, if my uh, NFTs is, uh, is a part of some shady deals and I get some money from shady deals, could it somehow affect me as a, an initial artist uh, from legal perspective? So it's like it's, it's something bad is happening uh, or it's like money washing or something like this. Uh, could it affect me as, a, as an initial creator of this artwork? Because I'm like I get money on that deal. Well, that's that's a very good question, um, and 
I think it would be in the first moments difficult to um, perhaps track a sale because a purchaser of that art could you know just go ahead and, and transfer it to to another wallet and could receive value for that. Um, and actually, I think it would depend on on the platform that's being sold on. Um, you know, because as we know, there's not a lot of like at the moment um, KYC on these platforms. Um, certainly, I'm not aware of, of KYC on OpenSea, for example. That could be incorrect. Um, this is going to change with laws and regulations that have come in. Um, but could, could an artist potentially get in trouble if they've profited from um, uh, an illegal transaction? Let's say um, that is a very good question and something that I'd like to look in further because I, I don't want to give a definitive answer because. Um, Yes, they would have profited um, from a, a, a legal transaction, but they didn't have control of it. They didn't promote it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think there might be enough of a, um, a separation and a nexus of that deal. Um, but, it's, but it's a good question that we should definitely look into. And, and of course, I, I hope it doesn't happen too often <laughs> or at all, actually, you know. Today's episode is brought to you by the Internet Computer Protocol, from my perspective, one of the best blockchains for emerging NFT artists. And here is why. ICP stores your entire NFT on-chain. That means you fully own and control all the NFT's assets, art, music, metadata, everything. Plus, storing data on ICP costs way less than alternatives, so you can focus more on creating. More profit, less overhead. And get this, ICP's smart contracts let your NFTs interact with the Web2 world. So you can have evolving dynamic NFTs with crazy features like customizable metadata, on-chain badges, dynamic media attachments. The possibilities are endless. I plan to use it for my upcoming symbiotic art series, where the NFT changes based on the owner's data collected from their smartphones. Last but not least, ICP is a carbon neutral too. You can mint NFTs guilt-free, knowing the process is sustainable. Huge shout-out to the folks at Definity Foundation for supporting this podcast and my mission to help artists make their art their full-time job. Learn more about the ICP blockchain at internetcomputer.org. And now, back to our show. Okay. Mm, now let's move to uh, to the legal setup for the emerging artists. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do you need to open and some legal entity to start your uh, like your career in terms of uh, like protecting your copyrights or not? Or it is not necessary, and it's better to do it when uh, when you need something uh, later. Yes. Yeah, so. No artist needs uh, a legal entity in order to um, protect their copyright because the copyright automatically Uh um, invests in that creator, that artist. Um, A legal entity might help in terms of uh, managing the business side of things, um, the financing side of things. Um, Also, if the artist wanted to maybe uh, raise investors for uh, investment monies from supporters of their artwork, Um, but really you know, I guess the business is, is then they producing the art and selling the art and, you know, that it could be good to have a legal entity for that purpose. Um, could also assist on the tax front, but I don't really see any issue with, um, artists continue on as, as independent, um, independent traders. However, that being said, 
say they wanted to go into the digital art world um, and they were looking at, you know, creating big uh, big collections of 10,000 people, 5,000 to 10,000 pieces um, and obviously selling that online to, to a global global community, um, it could be interesting to maybe have a legal entity just to kind of protect liabilities uh, for that for that person, um, particularly because, you know, you're, you're, you're trading and selling uh, these pieces, um, but also as a way to, you know, enter into these legal agreements with, with purchasers. So it could, yeah, it could, it could be useful, but I don't think, you know, in the first moments is, it's necessary for a, for a, an artist to set up a legal entity. And, and particularly, you know, it depends on the jurisdiction as well. Cause like, for example, if you're an artist in Spain, you don't really want to be setting up an SL company at a cost of, you know, upwards of, you know, two to 3000 euros. It's not really cost effective when you can just be continuing on as an, as an autonomous. Um, however, in the UK, you, know, you can set up a company for you know, 150, 200 pounds and it's fairly cheap to do that. Okay, and um, from due diligence perspective, uh, so for example, if uh, I'm an emerging artist, I invite to collaborate other artists, developers, anyone, and then after like a year uh, or so, uh, I want to attract funds or uh, like somehow I get in a situation where uh, I'm under due diligence. Could it be a problem um, that I do not sign any contract with my collaborators? Um, when you say collaborators, do you mean people working with you on the project to kind of produce the work and sell the work, or do you mean people who are purchasing the work? No, no, no. Working on the uh, piece of art. So it could be developers, it could be other artists, anyone. Yeah, so I, I would always say that in those circumstances that um, having some sort of agreement, like a partnership agreement or collaboration agreement, is definitely useful because then it, it allows in writing terms to be set out as to you know who actually owns the copyright and who and how um the, the collaborators are going to benefit from the you know the, the selling or production or whatever of, of the artwork itself so then everyone's clear on who's getting what and who's doing what um and i, I would always advise that to be a, a sensible solution otherwise you know you can produce something together with someone and they can claim the entirety of the copyright and you know it could get a little bit messy Mm -hmm. And it should be like a, a real uh, legal document or it could be like soft commitment or like email with all the details. What level of like seriousness it should be? <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I definitely go beyond just the verbal agreement. Um, definitely mm -hmm. getting something in writing is, is always useful to, to evidence what that agreement is. But um, I, I would say that a formal agreement and it doesn't have to be a complex uh, agreement at all um but signed by both parties is, is definitely always going to be better mm -hmm. okay and um, maybe it's not a question uh, for you but maybe you know what about taxation how like how how to pay taxes if you earn uh, on your art uh, in form of nfts in form of crypto uh, with whom to talk if if uh, you are not the right guy to discuss that Okay. To talk. <laughs> yeah, so um, you're always going to have uh, a few different taxes applicable to um, selling your work as an artist. Um, it could be uh, VAT. Um, typically, there is always VAT applied to uh, sales of art. Um, and then there's also going to be income tax 
um, payable from everything you've re- received. And that, that is going to be different depending on whether you're um, uh, an independent self-employed person or whether you're using a company for those purposes. And then thereafter, it depends on the jurisdiction because different jurisdictions have different VAT rates that they call to sales of art. Um, you also have different income tax uh, percentages applied. So it really depends on where you are um, and, you know, of course, how much you're selling in terms of how much you'll pay. But essentially, there's two main taxes here. As a self-employed person, that's VAT and then income tax. Um, then if you have a legal entity, then they're potentially also looking at, at corporate taxation as well. Uh, okay. And what's your uh, thoughts on the future of NFT in terms of, uh, like, uh, what do you think, in what direction uh, NFTs are moving now? Uh, any, like, ideas on year two three perspective what yeah. will happen yeah so obviously it might might seem that the nft market might be a bit dead you know we're not seeing those huge crazy valuations for nfts that we saw in the prior years um that being said i, I still think that artists should be um exploring the use of nft technology to um generate communities of their fans um, and also as a way to create art and distribute art on a global level because you know your physical pieces will most likely be with you in the location that you're living in but you'll be able to actually get your you know your, your art out there to, to a much wider audience a global audience if you um, seek to use nft technology now another thing which um is you know is, is big this year and, and has been growing for, for a couple of years now is the idea of uh, tokenizing assets real world assets so you know that has been there's been a huge growth in real estate but i believe that um this is the way forward for for art itself and what does that actually mean it means um having a piece of art and uh tokenizing it by essentially breaking it down into equal proportions um, that can be purchased by anyone. And, and this is what we call decentralization of art or democratization of art, because everyone's able to um, own a piece of, or, or, you know, piece of art, basically. Um, so, you know, it'd be really exciting to see museums and art collectors uh, tokenizing their art, um, but also a great way for, for artists to, um, you know, create a piece and to share it with their community and everyone in the community actually has a chance to own a piece of that art um you know it doesn't have to belong to one person and you can do some really cool things around that um you know derivative nfts uh <laughs> like different kind of collections which link to that to that piece of art um could get very very interesting but i also think it's a great way for art collectors to kind of raise money for their collection could be a great way for a museum to raise money for their operations by tokenizing the, the pieces that they, they hold. Um, but I see that that is being the, the, the huge next step for, for art and, and NFTs. Mm-hmm. And how it works. So, for example, if we decided to tokenize like Leonardo da Vinci uh, painting, uh, so uh, who uh, someone uh, should, some entity should buy it and distribute the rights uh, through uh, through tokens or how it works? What is the architecture of this, like, of this deal? Yeah, so so it's actually um, fairly, fairly easy to do. So um, you take one piece of art and um, you essentially, let's, let's say we break it down into 10,000 pieces and those 10,000 pieces are represented by NFTs. Um, so that entity could look like it, you know, like a, like essentially like a pixel of that particular artwork. And essentially the, the way you do it is that 
those 10,000 individual NFTs obviously have a value and the 100% of all of those NFTs um, make up the, the entire value of the painting. Um, and you would list that onto a platform which allows uh, tokenized assets um, trading. Um, and then the market is created in that way. And, you know, you can sci- sell, sell the pieces, buy, you know, buy, them, buy the pieces. Um, it's a very free market itself. Um, so, yeah, pretty, pretty simple to do, actually. Uh, but um, I'm not sure that I clearly understand how it works. So, for example, uh, we decided to tokenize uh, an artwork, uh, and now it is in the collection of the museum or someone owns it, and we decided to uh, attract funds to buy it. Uh, so we collect money and we buy it. Uh, but what? Who buys in like in uh, in fiat world? Yeah, so um, I tell you what, let's let's use an example here of um, a, a, an amazing project called the Particle Collection. And what the Particle Collection did was um, purchase a Banksy. Um, and it did so by uh, creating a community um, and selling uh, what they call Particles, which um, are these individual NFTs, which um, all of them making up uh essentially the, the Banksy, Banksy piece, right? Um, I, th- I can't remember exactly the exact number that they raised, but I think they raised something like 10 million. Um, and what they did is, is essentially um, create this, this community um, or this digital autonomous organization, um, which basically everyone who owns a piece has, you know, is, is part of this community and has a say in what happens with it. But um, essentially they, they purchased this Banksy successfully in an auction. And now they, um, you know, I think they they had it um, in, a, in a California gallery, um, which is amazing. So people can go and see it. Um, so that, so yeah. To answer your question, what they did is they the goal was to raise the money. They created these particles, these NFTs. They sold these NFTs, raised the money, purchased the the piece, and and then those particles are actually uh, freely tradable on their marketplace. So I can list my my particle, and I can buy other particles. Uh, uh, so they form a DAO to purchase uh, this uh, the, this artwork. Yep. Yeah. Essentially, they they, they pull together the community and the, the, together with the community, they raise enough money to purchase the the artwork. And they did that by creating these uh, particles, which are actually individual pixels of the Banksy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, um, as I understand, it is uh, very important for you, and you see uh, as a is an extremely important part of uh, like artworks in NFT space, uh, the community. Can you uh, share your thoughts on the role of the community in Web3 uh, art? Yeah, for sure. Because I, I think this is the, the one, of, one of the greatest uh, benefits, but also kind of, kind of the, one of the greatest requirements for artists is to um, use the technology um, available to them to actually create a community of people who are interested in supporting the artists. They love their art. They want to buy the art. They want to promote the art. Um, and uh, you know, the the Web three technology available to artists now is such that they can easily create these communities and reach a much wider audience rather than you know trying to be you know in the local community having your physical pieces and you know 
it's difficult and it's completely different to what you can do in the web three space. Um, you know, there are platforms available where you can create your own artist profile, um, with all information about your art. So you can, you can obviously have your portfolio up there and then you can also sell your art as well. And, um, I think that is something that is really important for artists because at the end of the day, it's like any kind of artist, whether you're a, a musician, um, or, uh, an actor or whatever, you know, you, you need to create a community around you who is, is supporting your work. Okay. And then what is the role of the offline galleries in this, like in this case, if we are talking about the direct relationships between the artists and the, the audience? Yeah. I mean, I think galleries are important because I think, you know, it, it's a great way, um, to, to present your work physically, um, actually having a space where you can use for, for events, for example. Um, but, but I think, you know, I haven't been in the gallery space for, for long, only a year and a half, but certainly from what I've seen in Barcelona, um, you know, it's not that easy to get your art, um, hung in a gallery, certainly here. So, um, obviously it's much easier in the web three space to create your own gallery space with your portfolio and getting a message out there. Um, the galleries still play a role and, and say something is, I, I, you know, in my opinion, filling that gap where, um, it's open for everyone, open for all artists to come here and to show their work. Um, and they can show both the physical and the digital because we have an NFT set of NFT screens. Um, so, um, being, having that openness and, um, you know, welcoming all artists, um, is something which I think, you know, differentiates, say something from, from the other galleries, at least certainly here in Boston. Mm -hmm. And please tell uh, more about how you curate the art in Say Something. Yeah, so this, this has now changed um, with the establishment of the Nonprofit Association. Before, it, it was myself and the, the kind of Say Something team who would um, kind of pick a, well, essentially we, we would uh, pick a theme for the month that supported the reasons for Say Something existing. And then we would uh, look at local artists and we look at who would actually um, fit that dream itself. Um, but now with the Nonprofit Association, the creation of the exhibitions um, are still you know, picking a theme that supports the purposes of, of Say Something. But it's actually the association members who uh, are the creators of the exhibitions. And also um, one of the benefits of being a member of the association is you get first priority to show your work here. Um, so uh, in general, it will be the uh, picking of a theme by the non-profit association. And then also the members will um, you know, put themselves forward to, to present their work at that exhibition itself. Okay, and and what is the best way to to like to expose your artworks in uh, say something uh, message you or like uh, DM in Twitter to say something or any other yeah. method? Yeah, so um, find us on Instagram. It's say something .bcn. Um, Drop us a DM, and then we'll send you the links for for joining the association. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. Uh, thank you. I think um, uh, I understand everything. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for this great talk. Um, I hope to see you in person in Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, you too, Nikolai. But can I just finish by, by saying uh, one, one last thing, um, which is that one of um, a very common question uh, to myself from, from artists is that, hey, Oli, um, I've received this message on uh, Instagram from this uh, supposed art collector, NFT person, and they're basically making me an offer um, you know, to, to 
purchase my work um, to create these NFTs and these collections. Um, I just want to uh, give like a little warning to, to be careful of those kind of offers and requests. Um, often, if it seems too good to be true, it will be too good to be true. Um, but if you're unsure about um, someone who's approached you about purchasing your work, then please do get in touch with us and we'll be able to help you figure out whether it's uh, for, for real or, or not for real. And what is the risk uh, there if they want to buy and you are ready to sell? What's the problem? What could be the problem? Well, it could be a huge waste of time to begin with. So, for example, if they've said that, hey, you know, I'll pay you a thousand dollars if you produce 10,000 pieces and then you do that and then you, they don't pay you, that's that's a huge waste of time. Um, you know, there could be some copyright risks. Um, it, I mean, with like with any scam, it, you know, Someone, someone loses, and it might be it probably will be in this case the artist. So it's just a case of you know checking out if this person who's made this offer is for real, and if it's for real, then um, looking at like you know what the legal terms are for for you know the arrangement they're looking for. Okay, and how you check the seriousness of uh, these collectors or scammers? How it works at your side? Well, I mean, the way I would do it is, and this is how I've helped um, people before who've come to me with this exact uh, query, is obviously I, I look immediately at the Instagram profile. Um, I look at the posts, look at who they are. Do they have a public profile? And then I'll go on to, you know, just do a simple Google search for this person. Um, are they real? Do they come up? Are they on LinkedIn? Um, and then looking for whether they are actually connected to the art world. Because often they say, hey, look, I'm a big art collector. Yeah, I'm involved in this. But then when you do a Google search, you can't even find their name. Um, and, you, and you definitely can't find any association to art. So that's a very, you know, <laughs> like rather than just do a, a basic name search on Google and maybe see if they've got a LinkedIn or There's any news articles about them being such a big art collector that will very quickly give the information you need to, to be careful. One more time, thank you very much for your time. And that's a wrap. But before you go, a special invite for those still listening. Let's build a community of artists helping each other to succeed. A circle of talented people supporting each other's creative careers through advice, networking and cross-promotion. If you are ready to take the leap, learn more at skiptoart.com. And for now, keep dreaming big. See you on the next show.